struggle on Nick Watson. Oh, you said that so quickly. I know. Say it like you like the show. Uh, oh. No, no. Okay, wait. Yes, yes and. and. <laughs> He's learning. <laughs> Welcome to the Constant Struggle. I'm Nick Watson. And I'm Bree Watson. And we have a wonderful guest today. Natasha Boomer! Hello! Yay. I actually completely disagree with Yes Anne, so all, right off, we're... <laughs> oh, off we're no budding <laughs> I think Yes Anne is the worst. Well, I just think in this case, it would be better for Nick to speak the words of the name of our show clearly <laughs> so that people can hear it. The name of the show. Is that like an advertising thing? But they're already listening to the show. Yeah, but... There, maybe they were just like, maybe oh, they didn't know they were. And All it was right. just like, this got popped up in my feed. Sure. What show is this? <laughs> Should we randomly say the name of the show halfway through the podcast? We always do, inevitably. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and what is the name of the show that I have See? not heard yet? The show is The, the Constant, Constant Struggle. Struggle. The Constant That's Struggle. Right. That's right. You can hashtag that. Yeah, can I? <laughs> also, does Katie Lang do the. So you should get her to do the Constant, song. That's constant cravings, yeah. and that wouldn't be too hard to change. Yeah, I'm sure she'd be fine with it. Yeah, yeah. Let's just call Katie up. She seems cool. Don't even call her. Just do it. Just, <laughs> all right. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, that's a constant struggle. Katie Lang, uh, plagiarism. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Katie Lang. That was amazing. You remember her at the Olympics? No, I don't remember the Olympics. I remember her at the Calgary ones. Is that right? Vancouver? No, I'm thinking Calgary. There was a cowboy hat involved and a red and white cowboy jacket. Oh, that's Pride. You're talking about some... Okay, right. (laughs) (laughs) This is every year at Pride. Uh, Yeah, so uh, Boomer, the point of the podcast is we uh, talk to people who are artists or who are pursuing their art. And we ask them what, uh, what struggles they've sort of encountered to get, you know, their art done. So yeah, for, that's uh, just to give you a little idea for Nick and I, it's the day job because we have a nine to five. We need to yeah. make money. Nick's got kids, right? Yeah. He, has, he has mouths to feed. Plural. Yep. Yeah. There are multiple. Do they mouths. both eat at the same time? Yeah, but they like different things. Like Ugh, every right. meal. Ugh. Love you guys. Seriously. I don't think our parents would have allowed that. Nope, no, my, my mom wouldn't. No. No. It, uh, like parenting back then was a lot different. You didn't care about your kids. My parents cared a lot about me, so much so that she forced me to eat a plate of Brussels sprouts. Ugh. Did it make me a better person? Probably not. Awesome farts. Though. What happened? After? <laughs> yeah, they just smell like a bowl of fart. I just sat at the table for three hours and cried, and then I went to bed. Nice. And I was hungry. I'm still overweight, so it's not like she starved me. I, uh, my mom made me do that with, um, what's that vegetable that I could only remember in French ever? Fiddleheads. Navets. Oh, oh. Ah, uh, turnip. Turnip. She was like, you'll love it. It's fine. And I ate it and vomited immediately. <laughs> it's good with mashed potatoes and haggis. Blah. Is that... Blah. Blah. I still don't like it. Anyway. I like turnips a lot fermented. Really? Yeah. Fermented? Ooh. Fermented. Like, you can make them. You can make your own brine mm. of turnips. And they're delosh. Wow. Yeah. What color do they turn out? Well, it depends if you put beets in there. Right. If you put beets in it, they all turn like red and pink. It's actually yeah. more like pink. I don't know about you guys, but I love to turn up the beets. Oh. <laughs> this isn't no. your day job, is it? Like, is this, <laughs> is this your dream to weirdly <laughs> rap into a microphone that looks like a spaceship? Oh, God, It does one day. look like a spaceship. Yeah. Or like a oh, little yeah. space Martian Like the, the tripod thingy at the bottom. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, no, that is not the dream. I just really God. wanted to get a turnip joke in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, well, we'll be expecting them all the way through. You made a promise to this <laughs> podcast. True. And I'm not going to deliver. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, and, but no promises. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you from, Boomer? Uh, I grew up in Cambridge, Ontario. Uh, well, I grew, I was, who cares? Oh, Cambridge, Ontario is my home. It's yeah. my home. No, it's west. Yeah. Yeah, it's like exactly oh, an okay. hour and 15 minutes door to door. I'm thinking Collingwood for yeah. some reason. Oh my God, Collingwood, home of a beautiful spa. Okay. Cambridge, home of a weirdly uh, gross Walmart. Oh <laughs> my God. The that's... largest smoking section. In the Walmart? It's not in the Walmart. Do they like, still have it? No, but like oh, if okay. you go to the Walmart in Cambridge, no offense, there are more people smoking outside uh, of it than than uh, is humanly than possible. Yeah, like it's it's it. horrible. You walk through a wall of smoke. It's Cambridge. Everyone smokes in Cambridge. Huh. 
awful and they I'm threw up there. things about Cambridge. Oh, but Cambridge, powerful, beautiful city, textile city. Ah. Yeah, so, because it was on the Grand. So. Is that why you were oh. so interested in all these fun, um... Carpets? <laughs> I got this carpet uh, from a set. Oh, like, sick. I just saw it on stage, and then I went up to the director after, and I was like, hey, man, um, can I get the carpet? <laughs> what are you going to do And he that? was like, yeah, you can. And they just didn't want to tear it down. Oh. So I rented a van and picked it up. Nice. I could have carried it on the subway, but... I don't know. That, that would have looked would've awesome. Been, yeah, <laughs> who am I? Who do I want to be right now? No <laughs> one would question. mess around with a carpet-moving lady on the subway. No. <laughs> get out of my way! That's is that what I sound? No, that's not that's, at all. That's probably because it was so heavy. Yeah, that would be my <laughs> that's voice. right. You were yeah, it's your lifting yeah. tone. Carpet yeah. hernia. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, that sounds horrible. Carpet yeah. hernia. But I rented a cargo van, put it in my bedroom, and now it needs a good steam clean. Nice. Yeah. I like that it's been on stage. Yeah, um, so is Boomer ostrich. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> but this carpet might have more stage time than me. <laughs> not true. Uh, yeah. Me and this carpet. We understand Go way each back. other. Yeah, we understand <laughs> each other. We understand what stage fright is. Oh. Yeah. You get stage fright still? Oh, I only get stage fright. You know what's funny? For years and years, I have not, not years, but for a long time, doing improv has been very like, oh, whatever. You have that like moment before you go on stage where you're like, well, I could suck. But I've developed, my relationship with improv is this. It might work. It will probably work. It might not work. But regardless, I'm still funny. Right. So I no longer allow improv to define whether I'm funny or not. So I huh. have this relationship with the with the art form of improv. So now I feel like I can just move on. Um, and I got stage fright, though, when I did Stuck hmm. in... Um, in uh, the winter? In, in the winter yeah. at the Next Age Theatre Festival. Because I was really, because it was an art form that I was really, like, it was a form of improv that I hadn't really had done a lot of. What was the form specifically? The that form you were was doing? just a 30 minute mono scene. Okay. We uh, were, where we were stuck. Right. So I the see, audience yeah. was like, we're like, where are we stuck? And uh, oh, I'm actually okay. remounting it. Oh, good. With the I one had on so the show. much fun. Oh, are you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So explain. I'll open for myself. <laughs> I'm confused. Okay. So the one woman show that you're coming to do at Solo. So Disney. I am also remounting it after Solo Festival. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to open with Stuck. So Stuck is going to do 30 minutes. Ah, okay. And then I'm going to do then you my do the show, sh- 60 show. minute. Ah, well show. that's a good way to get warmed up. Yeah. that yeah. And the show is about improv. It's about like oh, getting fired from your dreams. Oh, and so, yeah. I sat in this room and had you tell me that story. Um, my Second City story. Yeah. 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 So for your one woman, is it improv then? No. No. But I talk about improv. I talk about like how I found Second City and I talk about like my dreams and how lost I was before I found Second City. Well, and what then... were you doing before? Well, wait, yeah, let's, was that between Cambridge and Second City? <laughs> it was, it was actually. We want to get your bio, but we don't want you to tell the whole story on the podcast because we still want people to come to your show. Yeah, but you'll come anyway. Oh, yeah, that's tell any of the jokes. I'm going to tell all the not funny parts. Good. Great. <laughs> That's uh, what a podcast is about. Okay, Brie, you do the talking. I'm going to write down some turnip jokes while you're... <laughs> oh, no. You <laughs> gotta, you have to come his head now. Yeah. You have to find the turnip joke. <laughs> the inner turnip. Yeah, inner you turnip. find your inner turnip. It'll show up. Oh, shit. We just named this podcast episode. Find your turnip with Natasha Boomer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hope you Write that down. I hope, <laughs> I hope that your turnip turns up. Oh, okay then. I think you already did one very similar turnip to that. one. But that's okay. Turn it up. Yeah. That was the one I did. The vol. Oh. Okay. Oh. Okay. So I did one, <laughs> turn two. Up Great. Yay. You're on. I'm not going to do any turnip jokes. Oh. Blocked yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was living in Cambridge. I was going back to high school in Paris, Ontario the year after I graduated and working at McDonald's. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Eating a lot of quarter pounders. That with was like or without my- cheese. Oh, with more yeah. cheese than is allowed. Because you make your own food when you're oh there. Yeah. Holy crap. Imagine if you worked at McDonald's. I would do the Big Mac with the food. Corner Pounder beef yeah. patty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? A lot of people did. Yeah. Um. Also, Big Macs, hamburgers made as Macs were also very popular. Okay. So you just make a hamburger like a Big Mac. Oh, right. Mm. And uh, I used to... Remember the crispy chicken? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. 
So it back in the day, the McChicken. Yes, it okay. was a huge crispy chicken, and like the it was like a thick, crispy okay. chicken, and I used to make it into a fajita. Oh, um, nice. when we had fajitas, because I used to get eight-hour fajita chefs because they would. Do you remember away. McDonald's fajitas? Yeah, I didn't eat them. Though. That was life-changing. That introduced the fajita to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was also the wraps. Remember they had wraps. I remember the wrap. McWraps. Yeah. Yep, McWraps. Isn't that a? Don't they still do that? No, no, no. They were huge. Oh, I remember McPizza. Oh yeah, I worked at McDonald's when they started that. Nice. Oh man, going to McDonald's now is like uh, tea party food. Like the burgers feel so tiny in my hands. Yeah. And it's just like. Well, that's because you go to like Five Guys now. Oh. Yeah. Oh, mega burgers. Or you've probably left the burger train. I've left the burger train because it's it's all like why it's the point anymore. You existentially left burgery. Yeah, I, don't, I don't eat meat anymore. Yeah. So now I'm just like, where, where can I get a good tempeh burger? But then, like, I secretly hate tempeh. Oh, okay. Uh, I was going to say, are, are there big mushroom ones? Oh, gross. Yeah. Don't try and pass off a fucking mushroom as a burger to me, asshole. No, whenever someone offers me, that happens in restaurants a lot. They're like, we have a great portobello mushroom burger. And I'm like, no, you fucking don't. You do not have a great portobello mushroom burger. You have a... You have a mushroom on bread. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, do not. Have you been to the works? Apparently their portobello mushroom burger is amazing. <laughs> nah, fuck you. No. No, fuck you. Also, portobello mushrooms make me sick. Oh, no. They just make me sick. Like I like them. I like the idea of them. Do you like other mushrooms? Yeah, I like it's button just... mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms. Uh, shiitake's the best. Yeah. They're just like nuts. Like nuts? Like nuts. There's like a nutty nuts. flavor. They're like, well, it's a fungus. It's a fungus flavor. Okay. But I also have been known to, my sister and I are obsessed with mushrooms, and I also have been known when we go, like, can make chili, ah. it's a lot of mushrooms, and then I shit a lot of <laughs> undigested mushrooms. So, What's up with that? Yeah, What's I don't think my shitting undigested food. Well, it's a fungus, right? It's, it's a nightshade. It's not technically good for you. Ah. It's technically a poison. Interesting. Oh. I could talk about food forever. I bet. Yeah. But you've looked into this. I've studied it yeah. for years. Mm. Well, maybe we should talk about that. Not so much the studying of food, but the other stuff that you do that has sustained you while you were sort of. I don't know. Was that was that your goal? So for a while, was your goal to be like Second City, the top? You know what I mean? Was it to make the main? No, stage? because was to, or was it to be no. a teacher? Or was it or, or to I, the teacher thing? What was the goal there? I knew very early on in my career at Second City because I was told yes. that I will never be on main stage. Who told you that? And why would somebody? Because I was two hundred sixty pounds. Okay. I was a big girl. They don't put big girls on main stage. They are now. Yes. And Pernell. Mm -hmm. And Jan Care Warner, but she lost a ton of weight. She did. Uh, before. Um, but those, I'm sure that, I, like, they just don't, they just didn't, they don't right. put big girls on stage. I went to Chicago, and the, like, funniest bitch on stage was, like, like, six feet tall and, like, gigantic. She was, like, built like a refrigerator, yeah. and she was hilarious, and I'm like, fuck. Off yeah. Toronto. Well, but it's also American <laughs> demographic. They have bigger people there. Right. right? So they... Well, it's not like there aren't big people in Canada. No, we yeah. got big people. We definitely have big people, yeah. but it's way for worse sure. when you cross the border. Yeah. And just for some reason, they just... They never did. So this was like 15, 16 years ago. So I, I kind of always knew. Um... And then I just realized I just wanted to write plays. Okay. Hmm. And then I started teaching improv, and I came into it, I skipped a bunch of stuff. Like, I was teaching at Second City when only alumni were. Right. And then uh, it just kind of happened that way, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you look back on your life, and you're like, I did everything I needed to do. I also believe that your consciousness creates what you bring in. Sure. And I think I never needed main stage to believe that I was a good improviser, to believe that I was... And I don't even think I'm the best improviser. I think I'm a very adequate improviser. You have what, to kill an improv audition. How do they do that? Do they work it out in front of a crowd? Do, is, is there like a, room, a writer's room? Well, like, you no, know, it's every... Yeah, it's, I think it's it's really depend. Yes, you. so you work out your um stuff in the set at night and then you practice it in the show and then you have rehearsals to write each mm. director works the way that they work like they all have their own processes mm -hmm. um and so yeah but it's definitely improv is the major tool 
uh, at Second City. You have to be an improviser to play there. They've had not as strong improvisers, but they everybody is an improviser. Right. And and improvising is the art of making it up as you go along. Right. So technically everybody is an improviser. No, oh, well, yeah, okay. It's well, just any a writer of, like, how... anyway, like you're yeah. just improvising onto the paper. Yeah, with two separate characters, right? Like sometimes you're playing all the characters. Yeah. I very much feel like when I write uh, plays, I very much feel like a, my improvising tools are helping me all the time. How many plays have you written? Six. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, six. I wrote. I went through a huge phase in my early twenties where I did stand up a lot, and I would just write and write and write, and then um, and then I just kind of got trapped in that second city in the improv. Well, you know what happened was I start so I started producing my plays a lot, and then people just didn't come. Oh uh-huh. wait, because this was before. So when did you start performing? Like, where did this come from? Gene sticks. 1998. Awesome. I did my very first play. Uh, sorry, uh, improv show. And then um, it's when I totally fell in love with improv and I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to need oh, to do it all the time. I like it. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, it was in the days of the Ten Sins and everyone was kind of doing sketch and everyone was kind of doing sketch with this huge thing. Nick doesn't know Tim Sims. Oh, Tim Sims is a play, is a kind of like the John Candy Box Theater, but it was attached to the main stage okay. of Second City, and Tim Sims was a guy whose legacy was to promote uh, new and up-and-coming performers. Oh, nice. Okay. And then he died, and his wife took over, Lindsay Lease took over the artistic director position of the Tim Sims, so you had to submit mm. your plays, and everybody was, I remember seeing, like, my friend Dan Shahori and Jamila Ross, mm. uh, sorry, Jam- yeah, they were um, doing a play, and I was like, why didn't I get asked to be in that? And all of a sudden, everybody was doing these sketch shows, and everyone had all these sketch partners, and I was like, why do I not have any? Like, no, does nobody want to work with me? Oh my god, this is like looking into my past. Yes, and then I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to write my own play. Do it yourself. Yeah, I wrote a, the first thing I wrote was a one-woman show that I never got produced, because it was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) And I had no idea what I was doing. And then I was like, I'm going to write a play. And I wrote a play with Jamie Lamb, called Lovers Take Your Mark. And it was a sketch show. Now that's how you got your company name. Yeah, well, yeah, it really, Take Your Mark has been always, like, a huge, like, resting on my heart. Uh. Um, and so my production company for a long time was Dreamers Take Your Mark. Okay. And then I cut the Dreamers, and then now it's just, like, everything is under Take Your Mark Healing Arts. Take Your Mark Productions and Take Your Mark Healing Arts. But, um, yeah, so I did this play, and... This was before the day of Facebook. This is when, like, you literally emailed people. So MySpace. Before MySpace, when I started doing these, I did my very first show at the Transac. It was called A One Woman Show with a Little Bit of Boy. (laughs) So every scene had a boy in it, but it was basically about this woman and all of my experiences with love. Okay. And so, like, broken up love, longtime marriage love, the love of McDonald's, (laughs) the love of, um, oh, be, like... The fantasy love, right? right? So, and then I took uh, some characters from there, wrote my first play, wrote another play, wrote another play, and then I... And you would put them all up on, at the Tim Sims or around... I put some up at the Tim Sims, I put some up in Fringe, okay. and then my last Fringe show in 2008, um, which was a play that I put up in Summerworks two years earlier called The Maddest Kind of Love, nobody came. I'm it seeing was the theme here with your plays. Love. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. It was, I was obsessed with writing about love. I still am. I love um, relationship-driven plays. And then um, uh, nobody came at huh. Fringe. It was, I was in the get. And I remember on closing day, uh, they send you how many people came to saw your show, came Ugh. to see your show. And it said 167. And the whole venue seated 167 oh. per night. Ooh. And I was like... Oh, I just had enough. And I made back all my money. Okay. Because I am pretty good with the budget. But, uh, oh, God. I just remember being like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I was so depressed that I quit everything. And I had already quit before. And that was September of, so the end of Fringe is like August 2008. Hmm. And then I was just looking for a place to belong. And hence the John Candy Box Theater. Huh. That's when 
I started having like I uh, just a place like the Tim Sims. I felt like I needed the Tim Sims. Yeah. I felt like just so far away from everything. I felt like there was no community there. You'd go in to teach and like nobody was there. Uh, I, it, after classes, there was no camaraderie. I remember <laughs> standing outside every Monday night. I remember so clearly standing in the hall and bullying people to come into my show. Like, I think the illusion, like, I, I, I ran into Kevin at the John Kenny Box Theater and he's like, you're so loved. Your show is so loved. And I was like, if this show was loved, I would not quit. Like, right. if people came to Wheel of Improv weekly, I would not be ending this show. Right. But the truth is, people don't. I think there's been a shift. At a time, people needed community, but now there's so much community. They're that overwhelmed. I, I just think that they're like, oh, this this isn't, they don't know that there was ever a lack. Okay. If you have, uh, a, if you live down by a river and you always have water, right. you're not... You don't realize. Yeah, you don't like, know what it's like without like kids with a swimming pool, right? Who don't swim every day. You're like, if I had a swimming pool, I'd swim every day, right? And you're like, well, I swam like my sister's a pool. I swam once last year. Mm. We used oh, to, it was freezing. Uh, yeah, we had a lake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we fucking swam all the time. Man. Well, yeah, but that was a cottage. That's true. So we were like, we yeah, were because there for we're here, we might as well. Yeah. <laughs> And so people also, the Wheel of Improv needed a school to be attached to. Right. And it never had one. It, it, when I moved, it, it stopped having one. Yeah. So, well, especially, when, and then when Bad Dog left, for sure. So, it's like one of those things where you're just like, the, somebody in this community, I've often feel this, some, there's a bunch of people in this community that need to step the fuck up. Step up and do a weekly show and create a place for people to belong that has nothing to do with them, mm-hmm. has everything to do with what they want the community to be, right? right? Like, Wheel really had little to do with me. Um, I know a lot of people think it does, but it. I always felt like a servant to the Wheel. I always felt yeah. like a servant to the people that were coming. I was creating a space for them to play, um, as and- well as getting my 10,000 hours in right. hosting. Right. I am a master host you five times good. over. I know. That's why you're... <laughs> I have definitely got my hours. <laughs> How do you feel about your grandmother? <laughs> okay, why? Confused. Just wondering. <laughs> a weird inside joke that I decided to bring out in a podcast. Yeah, I'm a horrible guest. I'm a, I'm a horrible attendee of your show. I always just go and heckle, even though I know I'm not supposed to. You do get, always go and heckle. I get caught up in the, mo- in the emotions of the, of the show, and I'm like, ah! It does look like that. She looks like a puppet. Right, I have to tell her to shut the fuck up. Like, what the hell are you doing? I don't know. I don't know what happens to me when I go to wheels. The wheel takes over. But I've also done it to her a few times at her show. Um, it... Uh, uh, it it also is a testament to why you should be doing your own shows and why you are doing your own shows. There is many times when I'm in audiences when I was like, I just, can I host your show? Oh, okay. I feel like that at every work presentation I have to go to. <laughs> Let me take over. Yeah. Can I just please? But being a leader too is also holding space for where people are, right? Like that is the most important thing in building community is to be able to hold space for where people are. Right, like for where their learning journey is, because look, I have a good relationship with improv, and it has been a long time since I developed that. Bad improv sets do not destroy me like they used to, uh, because I understand that I've had more good than bad. Right. Um, also, so uh, I am able to hold space for people, and they're like weird what they are perceiving as failures, and that is yeah. a very important thing for a leader to have. And there's not enough leaders in this city right now who have developed a strong enough voice in their own improv that could pull all the sheep and be like, listen, it is fine. I don't think people want to. Yeah, you're right. I think people are, they see it as it's their own individual pursuit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that because being on stage, like I know for me, I, fuck, I need to be on stage. I don't even know that... I want to do one-woman shows, but I want to do one-woman shows because I want to be on stage. Right. Right? Like what Chris Gibbs always says to me. He's always like, your story is your excuse to be on stage. 
And I'm like, yeah, I never needed to be, like, every single Tuesday night to go out and, like, talk to an audience. I don't even know what I'm going to do this Friday. Well, you'll find something else. Something else will come I'm going to do one-on-one shows, like, yeah. what, every four months? However long I can kick them out. However many stories I have inside of me. However mm-hmm. much an money. An infinite I... amount. Yeah, we all have an infinite. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Those are great words. Because the more shows you do, the more life you live in between, the more stuff happens, right? Well, I think that is a very important point because here's something about improv that I would see. So students that would come to improv that would take five classes a week. Right. I think a huge problem with the community right now is there's too many students. Stop fucking taking classes. I realize that theaters cannot thrive without students. It's how a majority of them make their money. And I fucking love teaching level A improv. (laughs) But when you get to a certain point, do you know how much school I've had in improv? Two years. Wow. A through E in conservatory. And then a few classes here and there. Right. But I've studied the art. You know how much improv I have seen in my day? Just watched. Yeah. Uh, So much. And when people are like, you have to see my show in order to be on it, I'm like, you don't get me, do you? Because I don't go watch improv anymore. Although I did just go watch Songbuster and Uncalled For. But you love musical improv or musical theater, so that makes sense. I do. Uh, What was the other one Uncalled For? And they're great. Yeah, they're great so much. (laughs) I had this one particular student take five classes every, like, a week. He was like, Monday, Tuesday, they're all different classes. And I'm like, how do they do have you... jobs? Like he did have a job. He also had a kind of a rich father okay. uh, that was uh, yeah, and and a loving father. I don't think I. He definitely wasn't the kind of father that was like. He was like, what do you what do you want? What's your dream? I will make it happen. Uh-oh. Well, you want to take five classes a week? Yeah. I'm paying for them. I just want you to be happy. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, <laughs> it is exhaustive because he has no life. So it. Uh-huh. Improv happens, and then your life happens, right? And your improv is informed by you living your life. It's the same with stand-up. It's the same with stand-up. That's it's why the it's same with all of yeah, it. It's not interesting to watch a stand-up comic who spent his life living in his mother's basement watching porn. Or doing stand-up. He's going to do, do stand-up about doing stand-up? And then they do. Exactly. Yeah. And whenever a comic starts, I was doing a show the other night, I'm like, I'm not going to enjoy this. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, tell me about the time that you went uh, skydiving. So in your life, how are you walking, the best improvisers walk through their life gathering experiences, Uh whether it be like a long hour walk before a show, Uh or like, how often do you actually talk to strangers? I talk to strangers all the time. That doesn't surprise me. It's the best improv ever. Yeah. Because you're on your feet, you're going to get different reactions, you can make jokes, you cannot make jokes. But I talk to, I engage everybody on a regular basis. Now, not everybody has that personality, and some days I don't feel like it. <laughs> but you, your improv is the life that happens outside. If you are emotionally capable of handling life, then you're going to be emotionally capable on stage. Mm-hmm. You sense. see it all the time, the improvisers who only know how to play children. And like, deal oh. with your children issues. <laughs> and then, you're, it's not improv that's going to make you better. It's dealing with your improv issues. No, not me. <laughs> uh, I don't know who I was thinking about there. What, you were saying your life informs your improv. And uh, from going on to do your show and other work I've been I doing. I Nick to come to my show. <laughs> well, kind of. Like, I want to do it. And then I kind of don't at the same time. So it's give and take. Um, it sounds like you're bringing improv into your real life. Like, yeah. like t- looking out for those experiences I feel and like being it, more courageous out in the world. Yes, and that will change your improv. Yeah. I, but it, I feel like that's what, like, that's one of the things that improv does to you. Yeah. It, it's a hand in hand. Yeah. Like, I, I, it's, it has come into my workplace when I'm like, I probably shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? And it's, and it's like, like cause it's, it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> I remember one time my boss was something, she was like, do you really want to know why such and such? It was something so dumb. She was mad at me about something. She's like, do you really want to know the answer to this? And I was like, yes. Yeah, I do. And she's like, cause it's none of your business. But I was like, oh my God, why did I do that? Because you need to know that <laughs> yeah, it's none of your business. Yes. You need to find out where your boundaries are. And in improv too, like when you are, you need to find out where your truths are and you need to, you need to find out, uh, what your limits are. Right. And there's so many people on stage. If you ask yourself, if I see an improviser 
all the time on stage who say no. Mm. My job as a teacher, I always felt anyway, my job as a teacher isn't to try and get him to stop saying no and be like, say yes, because you're in the moment, you can't control that. My job as a teacher is to coach him to be like, so why do you think in your life that you say no? So what are you scared of? Off the stage you're asking this. I'm asking this usually in class. Like like you'll stop a scene and be like, why? I don't know how that works. But it's also like you always are saying no. No every once in a while is great. But like I know myself in my life, uh, when whatever is happening to me on stage is happening in my life and in my soul. So I challenge people, if you're always in a relationship with a mother, if you're always hating women, if you're always saying the word bitch, Mm. then I'm going to have to challenge you. I don't think that it is an improv thing. I think it is a life thing. So when I really got into working with the, oh, that's what I was saying. When I really got into working with the angelic realm, like angels and archangels, uh, for a very part of my healing in 2009, I could not walk on stage and not talk about a fucking angel. And it frustrated me. It frustrated people I was working with. But I was like, I guess I'm just working through something. Mm. And then we're in how Rob Norman will constantly talk about wizards. Yeah. yeah. He's working through, well, his wizard face. Yeah. Yeah. Which is He's, a but, lifelong thing. I'm but it's sure. safe for him. Right. You have that to remember, true, yeah. too, with teachers, mm-hmm. when someone endows you as being the leader in a community... And being as like a mentor and uh, they endow you with this, you know improv more than anybody and you've written a book and you've taken this place mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not, it, it's well deserved, he's a great improviser, then the pressure when you perform is beyond. Yeah, because everybody's looking at you to be like, how do, how do I do what he does? And look at Colin Mockery. Colin Mockery gets so nervous before Wheel, uh, but he also is like... He is a, he tells you what is acceptable in improv. That's what people look at him for, right? Mm. He is the foundation. He is that line that people are like, well, if Call Ma- Mockery said it, then I, it's I funny. Right. Then that's what's funny. Huh. And so there is a pressure amongst leaders and communities, I think everywhere, to not only walk the walk, but to also be funny. And one of the ways that... Certain people know, like Rob knows how to be funny, is wizards. <laughs> yeah. It is failsafe for him. For me, like, I'm always going to like play this character. Like, this voice is always going to make me get jokes. Like, I see. So people have their, like, go-to. Uh, their go-to stock character yeah. that they know will get them funny. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's very, because it is a requirement it's a lot of pressure. But what I would love, and this is why I always tried to play my own show, and this is why I always tried to like be okay with failure in front of my people at Wheel, in front of my students, because the moment that you see me fail, but I give myself permission to fail, mm-hmm. is the moment that they people see. are like, oh, I can fail. So I think our leaders need to be more vulnerable, mm. right, into failing, in front of everybody. Like, what if we just allowed ourselves to have a bad set? Well, that's the, yeah, that's well, the point, right? You're supposed to What's be okay. the failure in improv? Is it just you're saying stuff and it's not funny and people aren't liking it? Or it's I not think true? that's the way. Or even if you mess up, like, I'm, my fingers are in quotation marks. Like, if you say no to something that you're, you know, you're trained so well to say, yeah, or, or if you're challenging whatever the basic concepts are. I think it's a disconnect. Like, for me, when I'm not doing well in improv, it's because I'm not listening and I'm trying to be funny, and I'm yeah. trying to oh, chase. Okay. Mine's always trying to be funny. Yeah. That's where I will always, always... I will never fuck up a scene. I will never tank a scene not chasing laughs. Mm. Right? Like, if I'm just honest and truthful, it doesn't even matter. Like, it, it'll always be beautiful. Uh, so, talk to us about angels. Oh, I just started... I got really into uh, work with archangels. So, the four archangels, Raphael, Michael... Uriel and Gabriel I just got into like my own healing journey that was the thing so in 2006 I popped pretty heavy into the alternative medicine world like Reiki and and studying that art form and so uh comedy I always did comedy and I always was uh on a stage somewhere but I think it's I spent I, my major focus went into healing my body and like mm. healing 
doing learning Reiki and learning art forms and learning massage and learning uh, about the chakras and so I exchanged my playwriting books um, and my well just play I should read tons of plays um, I exchanged them for healing information and it was like this new thing that I was doing so I wasn't working on my career anymore I was working on healing my body. You were working on you. I was working on me. Yeah. I really was. And so it was, that was another reason why I would never make it to main stage is I didn't have the drive mm. to do it. I had the drive to work on me. Mm. I wanted to... What what needed healing? I wanted to be thin. Okay. My And I was dealing with a lot of like anxiety issues and and back pain and just well chasing thin really right and then i became a vegetarian and then i started studying food and i started studying macrobiotics and then i started studying reiki and then i started getting reiki then i started oh doing yoga and then so now i'm doing yoga like that's my main focus so and all of that stuff is expensive as hell so right. Where people are like, I'm taking this on-camera acting class, and I've got this agent. I'm like, oh, I've just left my agent, and I'm doing Reiki. Right. <laughs> and so it was, that was 2006, 2007. So I was catering to okay. pay for it, and doing Reiki, and then... What I, is Reiki for people who don't know Reiki? It's the adding of energy. So it's an art, it's a it's a um, healing technique okay. for the adding of energy. Okay. Very relaxed. It, it induces relaxation. Okay. It's amazing. It heals your body. You can break down tumors. It's very powerful. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, so it just like changes your, it can change your vibration. You can give Reiki. My cats were really sick uh, when I got them. So Sir Beans was like just a broken cat. And then Bub broke her leg in the first week that yeah. I got her. And Reiki got them through it all. It was like Reiki healed me. Uh, it did a lot of emotional healing. It's um, great to fall asleep to. So um, that was a huge focus of mine, as well as writing plays. Those were the days when I was writing plays. Okay. 2003 to 2007. Okay. Eight, really. And then in eight, I was like, so demolished the fact that no one was coming to my shows. Mm. that I just was like, fuck it. I want to do something that people fucking come to. Right. I want to do something where I can repair the belief system that I was creating in myself that no one comes to my shows. Okay. Because I definitely was finding ways to keep reincorporating that theme in my life. Mm. And in 2009, that's when I came up with Wheel. And what Wheel did for me on a basic level was it healed me. Yeah. It healed me. Uh, and what Wheel did is it, it rescued me from believing that I was no one was coming to my shows and that I wasn't funny and that I wasn't engaging. And no, that... it's just like no one goes to shows. <laughs> yeah, well, there was no Facebook. Right. Right, oh like this is not yeah, yeah. how but people even now promoted that there shows. But even now that there is Facebook, people still don't come to shows. Well, because they don't know. Because they, like, I have 1,700 friends. Right. So my tactic for my June 2nd to 5th show yes. is as soon as Wheel is over, I will spend every night for two hours personally inviting people yeah and so then i can't be upset oh you didn't see my well, i missed my two best friends birthday parties this uh, year well but it's good about i think having a one person show is different than like a weekly improv show or whatever you know what i mean you can't expect somebody or people to come every single time to a show that repeats itself so if it's something that you're doing and it's just a once in a lifetime kind yeah. of thing or not once in a and understand that everything is once it's so funny because yeah. one of my friends once said to me because at my shows that i do these uh, I have lost friendships because people didn't come. Oh, that's not funny. And so, I remember saying that to one of my friends, and he was like, uh, "Oh, I that's horrible. That what a horrible place you must live in, or something to the tune of that." And I was like, "You don't do any shows that are so important that if your friends don't go, you'll You're kill upset. them." Yeah. And he's like, "No." And I'm like, "You gotta do more shows. You, you gotta do things of higher stake than yeah. exactly your." Not doing shows that you care about. Yeah. My show, I want to see because I want to share my story with you. But then my director, then there's also this like um, very real understanding that the world that I live in, I do not want to entertain entertainers for the rest of my life. Exactly. So while I need support, my job is to find 
the audience outside of my circles. Mm -hmm. And while I don't know how that works, right now, I will eventually. So right now, my only job is to write the shows. Mm -hmm. So those are hard. Like, those are very easily... She needs her nails cut. Those are very easily said things yeah. and very hard to they live take, by. Yeah. They have to, you have they to, like I get up every yeah. morning to meditate to remind myself. I will do all, I had this meditation the other morning and it was this. Um, very clearly I heard this voice in the back of my head say, um, the foundation of a miracle is work. So you have to, work is the foundation of a miracle, whatever way. There can be tons of miracles in the world. You can be like, oh my God, I'm a YouTube sensation. There's a shit ton of work that went behind it. Mm-hmm. That's you a lot of time you spend on YouTube. Yeah, be, and yeah, exactly. And all the people that you've met before and all the parties and all the networking, you cannot possibly expect to begin a garden, a tomato patch with a seed. Mm-hmm. You're going to get maybe... A tomato out of it. For all yeah. the seeds that you sow in the ground, maybe two or three are going to happen. So for every, I mean, look at humans, mm-hmm. right? For every human there is, there was what, a billion sperm? Yep. Something like that, yeah. So you must do the work. So I have no problem. I will do the work. I will produce my shows on my own. I will spend two hours every single night emailing every person that I think might want to come to my show. And the rest, not up to me. Yeah. Not that, up to me. And good I think though, cuz then you know like this is it's good because it sort of it helps you measure your time too, how you're going to spend your time as well. So it's like, well, I'm not going to go see this or that show or this show or this thing or that thing. And but, I'm not going to waste my time cuz this is the time that I've allotted to this. Well, and here's the other thing too about that is what you so in terms of dreams and in terms of future, consciousness is uh, draws other consciousness. So however your brain is, however your brain is working, you are drawing that to you, right? So if I want, so I saw my friend Crystal's, she did her one woman show this weekend. Mm-hmm. I saw her postcard at second, um, not second city, at uh, fringe office. Okay. I walked on the steps, I looked at it, it was one night only, I was like, I gotta go to this. Right. And I have to go to this for two reasons. A, I'm studying one-woman shows, so I want to see one-woman shows. Mm-hmm. Whatever art form you see, you have to make right. time to go see. Yeah. And number two, I want to think that if I put a postcard, someone will pick up that postcard oh. and be like, oh, I want to see that show. What you... It. Yes, and come to it. What you give, you will receive. So I go to my friend's shows... And I have to admit, I'm not half as supportive as I used to be. I used to go see everybody's show. And then I was like, who the fuck am I? Um, And how much more improv do I want to actually sit through? Um, And so what you put in the world, if you want to see, if you want people to come to your show, you have to go to the shows. shows. And I don't mean like, Brie, if you come to my show, I'll come to yours. I'm not talking that. I'm talking... How much the theater did you go see? Yeah. 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 So, and oh same my. with massage. As a massage therapist, what? I can't actually leave No, I've been thinking a, a lot about this lately. Yeah. What you put out into the world, you get. If you want people to smile at you and like you, you better walk down the street and smile at people and like them. Yeah. If you want compassion, give it to yourself and expect it of others. Give it to yourself. How often do you look in the mirror and be like, I love you, man? That's how you will get that back Isn't there love a back to you. song about this? A Beatles song? Love, love, love. There's actually a lot of Beatles references in my show. I call John Lennon a dick a lot. (laughs) Boomer, you're uh, the first person I think I did improv with. Oh, what a great feeling. That's a great theme in my life. Virgins. Oh, cool. That's good. Improv virgins. Big fan of them? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I find virgins throughout my life. So people who have never had a massage will instantly find me. People who have never done improv will instantly find me. I tend to like open the doors for a lot of people oh. and be like, have a good time in your new thing <laughs> your that you're doing. Journey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where, sorry. Did uh, I block yeah, you no. the whole time? <laughs> was that the British accent day? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I was like, I was more taken aback by your energy on the stage. Oh. Uh, Loud. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I described it as a force of nature. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I like that because I do believe I'm a force of nature. So I was wondering, like, do, does that translate in your daily life as well? Do you go into everything with that much energy, or is it something you bring to the stage? And <laughs> well, it depends if 
what you mean by energy, right? Because if you just mean like loud and out there, no. I certainly hope not. There is not just loud and out there. There's, I don't know, there's the Here's just the being thing. there. Here's like, the thing. I was born uh, when the moon was in its fullest. So I was born at 121 in the morning on June 12th. And that was when the moon was in its like fullest expression. A big old moon. A big moon. So a lot of times, all times, your life is a mirror with your prenatal, like with the moment that you came in. It's like the world just went, and you're here. And how the stars are is very matching. You chose your time. And so I definitely am a full moon person. I live big. Like I live big. I spent my entire childhood being told by people to tone it down, be oh, okay. quiet, shush. And it's not, it's like telling somebody who's depressed, don't be sad. You are just big. I want to find out what my big. moon was. You should call my astrologist, Richard P. Gear. He's amazing. Right. I'm not even kidding. I like that he puts the, the P in there. Oh, yeah, because he has to. Yeah. There's probably another Richard. There's Richard Gear. Richard Gear. Oh, it was Gear. I, didn't hear <laughs> I, I missed the last part. I was stuck in my moon thing. <laughs> There's probably some other Richard Gear out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> learns about Richard Gear. I'm sure he has nothing to do with gerbils. <laughs> Thank you for going there. Hey, I couldn't help but turnip around. Oh, <laughs> no, that's normal. That was the worst. That was such. That was trying to shove a square through a circle. I like it. Do you punch a lot of dicks on stage? Nope. Okay. Nope. Why? Because you punch my dick. In my... Did I punch your dick on scene? You just said you couldn't remember the scene, but you remember that I punched your dick. I remember the dick, dick punching. <laughs> Why did I punch your dick? I think I'm you're very much in the moment. There was something remember. about Santa Claus. Okay, it's coming <laughs> back. Your daughter wanted to visit Santa Claus. I oh, was and I was a cripple. I was MS. I had MS. <laughs> Why am I laughing? I remember That's you funny. being in a wheelchair, oh, man, and yeah. then you lashed out, and I think you pulled your punch, but connected at the same time. I'm like, <laughs> what? One time on stage, I <laughs> smacked John Wong right across the face. Like, That's not close. one His of these like. Claps, just like cold, <laughs> and he was like, "Ugh." What did he say? It was funny. Yeah. But I think many people in the audience that wheel of improv. And I think many people. It wasn't like <laughs> so. It wasn't like I really hurt him. Right. I definitely slowed down as I smacked his face. <laughs> but Pullman and I do it all the time. We will smack each other's tits on stage nice. or before. <laughs> she has smacked oh. me hard before, and I'm like, yeah. Now we're feeling things. <laughs> that sounds painful. Is Boomer your real last yes. name? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> that was an actual question. Uh, well, it, I'm going somewhere with it. Okay, you. great. Uh, uh, is, is it a stage name or is it a tribute to Mark Maron's cat? No, fuck you. <laughs> I was a Boomer for that damn cat. Maybe the cat's named after this Boomer. Hey, oh. That Boomer disappeared. Uh, yeah. Because he's been that far on the series. Um, uh -oh. I do love it. He goes away. He dies. Oh, no, no. Sorry. In real life. Not on the... On oh. The, yeah, on the podcast, he talks about Boomy a lot. Oh. In the TV show, he ran away. And he's gone. Okay. Yeah. I so, just ruined it for everybody. Nah, nobody's watching Marin. I do like... <laughs> okay. I do like that I love TV that show. show. Yeah. He's great. Just because he's so vulnerable and so broken. That's true. And it's super important. I think it's super important for people to see... He's getting brokener in the show, too. Is he? Yeah. What about IRL in the podcast? IRL, he's doing fine. Okay. Uh, but the show, it's season four, he's going uh, in a dark place. Really? Yeah, did you see season three at all? I don't think so. Okay. Um. Yeah, no, it is my mother's maiden name. It is my women, it's my woman name. It's not my father's name, it's okay. my mother's name. Okay. Boomer, um, what? I come from a long line of boomers. They're French bridge builders. So there's French and Irish. We're French and Irish. Hmm. What did they do? Is it that they would like blow up the bridge stuff before no, they, they made the bridge? No, and they, they went make boom? the bridges well, over the water to connect the towns. That's what the, that is the original means. That's what the original form of boomer is. It's a bridge builder. Huh. But if you look at my life, that's yeah, what I do. Building bridges. I build bridges. Uh, I really love, I'm obsessed with women right now. Like I'm obsessed with female <gasps> Oh shit, comedians. there was a really good female comic just dropped her special this you week. Ali Wong, I want to yeah. say. Oh yeah. I, have I haven't seen it, seen it yet. It's no, no, so no, no. good. Yeah. Yeah, she's seven months pregnant. 
performing. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I won't say anything else about it and spoil it, but it's a solid show, yeah. Yeah, I got obsessed for a while watching every female comedian I could on Netflix and, like, YouTube, and then going back and, like, YouTubing their previous mm. videos, and I was like, yeah. I, of course, you I can't remember work. any of their names, but... How come you don't do stand-up anymore? Uh, that's not my art form. Okay. When you see my one-woman show... You will see what I feel is the perfect blend for me of stand-up, honoring that part of me who loves stand-up, mm-hmm. and honoring the part of me that loves storytelling. Yeah. I really do think it's like a blur. You can't get super vulnerable in a five-minute set. No, oh, no, no. Yeah. Nor So I don't really want to do the things that I need to do to become a great stand-up. That's the problem is, yeah, it's very time-consuming to just go and do a five-minute set and go, and then, like, three of those a night by running around the city and, you know, doing that night after night after night. It's I want to just do one-woman show, so why don't I just focus there? And if you look at the patterns in my life, I do start, if one is where you start, I do usually, no matter what, end up at seven to begin, right? Like, I really do believe my improv career began when I started that candy box theater and when I started teaching adults. But what was it before? Where would students perform or would they just not perform? There was five years where there was nothing. Ah. The bad dog started happening. But that, like, there's only so much space at the bad dog. And really, you couldn't really take classes at Second City and then go perform at bad dog. There was ITC, right? So definitely different communities were happening. But Second City, which was why Naomi and I were like, we need to do this is because we both came up in Tim Sims hmm. and it was a beautiful community. Huh. So the training center didn't have a, a, a stage for the long time. Not for, for five years. Interesting. That's how Adam and Rob and all those guys ended up over at Bad Dog. That makes Because they graduate conservatory and then they're like, well, we, we need to we we perform. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ITC. Let's go Bad Dog. Yeah. And then build and learn there right like if you are really truthfully want to get good at improv you gotta do shows yeah you gotta do shows and uh but more importantly than doing shows which is ultimately you gotta watch shows you gotta know what's going on like you really do gotta watch and that's why wheel of improv was like such a great show because you learned you watched you did Mm -hmm. right uh, I now I granted in the last two three years I have not taught as much as I usually do, um, just because it didn't ever seem like the right place. How would you teach? Would you get, like come on after the set after the performance and say this is what these people did before and after, and okay. I would critique it a lot more. I'd be oh, like, cool. stop. Do sometimes I do. I, I I do it a lot with actually Jason Ox. Whenever he gets <laughs> on stage, I'm like, why are you doing that? Don't do that, bud. I I only ever really could give notes to somebody if I felt like um, that, like at, at Comedy Bar, the show morphed into a comedy show. It's a show. Yeah, it's more of a show than than what it was, yeah. or at least the first time I went when it was more, yeah, like, yeah. A, like a working you're working on your shit at the same time. Yeah. A work shit. Picture. A work shit. Yeah. And I could only really mess with somebody if I felt like um, they could handle it. Yeah. Because it's it's a difficult, in, in a training center place where everyone's coming in after class, people can handle it more. Exactly. Technically, that stage was a classroom that a lot of them had. That makes sense. But at Comedy Bar, you'd be like, what? In front of people? You're telling yeah. me what I did wrong? Oh, yeah. okay. And yeah. there's a few times when I would do it where I would, at the beginning, I would do it a lot, and then because it was just the way that I ran that show, yeah. that I was like, this does not feel good anymore. People are not... They're stopping coming. Oh. And so I was just like, let's just do a fucking show. Let's right. just do a show. Um, and then it became even more so about the guests. Yeah, a lot of it was about the guests. A lot of people were like, it's not about going there and playing for yourself. It's about going there and playing with whoever the guest is that night. Yeah. It's like, I want to go and play with, you know, somebody huge in the community. Yeah. Rather than just going and... and Which isn't what I wanted that show to be. Hmm. Interesting. But it's also it. like a draw to get people out, right? Which it should not be should a draw be. to exactly. get people to come to that show, and that's what kind of makes me frustrated about Wheel. I should have never had to been producing that show so hard, right? Which means one thing: it is no longer needed in this community. This community is morphing into something that it's no longer needed. So I'm fine with letting it go. 
Because the one thing that I know about me is that um, I was here seven years ago. I ended everything. I ended my serving. I ended everything. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm doing this thing. So I have no doubt that with wheel ending, I'll find another thing to do. Yeah. I'll, truthfully, I will probably really focus on long form improv. Not Harold. I want to oh, do... Why not Harold? Because it's a high concept thing that takes... People are so focused on how to do a Harold that they have completely forgot how to do a fucking story. Tell me yeah. a fucking story. I think the, uh, there's, yeah, there's some disconnect between Harold with, with what it is or what it can be. And just like, so you just have to run it until you know the rules so well that it becomes second nature and then your brain to be able to make it more about the stories and the connection. And I know very much that it's a challenge. And I loved doing Harold when I did it because I loved things with structure. But it, it, it stopped my storytelling. It's an important thing to learn how to do different formats. It's an important thing to learn how to be taught. It's an important thing to learn how to be coached. It's a it's an important thing to all... The, some of the worst actors are what? They don't know how to be directed, mm -hmm. right? You're like, that guy is a bad actor. I'm not saying he doesn't have talent. He does not know how to take direction. Uh, Wheel of Improv was not the first show to have professionals play with, with people. I got the idea from Paulo Sullivan who did a show called Pros and Ghosts. And guess where I got my idea. <laughs> right, exactly, right? There's many, many people that are doing Wheel of Improv type shows. All that matters is that you're creating the inspiration um, for it. So uh, is Wheel dying because there's too many uh, shows <laughs> like Wheel? Probably. I honestly... I don't know. They're not like all coming to my show, that's for sure. <laughs> how I would come to your show all the time. How long must something be before you can move on, right? Like, yeah, it's really up, up to you to sort of... Yeah, many people are like, why wheel ending? I haven't lost any money on wheel. Never. If anything, I constantly make a profit on that show. That's great. Uh, it's not every week. I pay all my guests. I give Dwayne as much money as I can. Uh -huh. And it's important, right? Like, my guests make money after every single show. If I'm going to use their name, it's important. But uh, I am ending it because fuck, something else has got to... i got to start something else. But, yeah, a, a perfect reason to end it. Yeah. And nobody comes anymore. The 8 o'clock show really knackered it out. Yeah, because everybody's still in class. I know. Yeah. It was something that I agreed to that I should never have agreed to. Hmm. But then at the same time, it facilitated this transition of ending Thank the show. Thank you! Yeah. <laughs> like, try explain that to people, yeah. right? Like, I, when, the only thing that I can kind of rest assured on is when I said I would move to 8 o'clock, it, and when I did move to 8 o'clock, even though the audiences went down from 35 to 16, Ooh. 18 to 16 every week, uh, it was never, in my body, I knew it was the right choice. I fucking loved the 8 o'clock show. Oh. Leave my house at 7.30, home by 9.30? Oh, exactly, yeah. Because before it was like, leave my house at 9, home yeah, by at, 12. At least yeah. midnight, yeah. Like it was so, that show was an hour and a half. And then there's always the socializing aspect afterwards. Yeah. yeah. And you want to like talk to people and you want to meet people. But you're exhausted. And the idea of running a weekly show sounds exhausting. It is exhausting. And I, I, I well, think. Well, I, I think about if we kick this thing up to a weekly, it'd be nuts. Yeah, it would be because there's a lot of editing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Rick. Yeah. Yeah, anything that you have to do week like I remember last year I was doing improv game show weekly and that was like I'm exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But at the same time, I I you got, had a team. We had a team of people for the most part. Uh there were like a core group of people who would show up for it. And I also feel like I got way better as a host and way better at short form. Oh, those are all. Yeah. That's all awesome. Yeah. Just by doing it every week being there. Um, I feel like we haven't talked about the solo show enough, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, June 2nd through the 5th. I'm also playing at the Solo Festival on May 28th. Okay, so that's, is it gonna be in, it's, like, full, complete, okay, May 28th is, like, the end of the Where month. is it? Uh, the Solo Festival is at the Red, um, Sandcastle. Red Sandcastle Theatre. My show, June 2nd to the 5th, is at um, the Betty's, Betty's, 
uh, at Kane and Sherborne. What's Betty's? Betty's is a bar. Oh, cool. And then you go upstairs, ah. and there's a massive lounge with, like, nine couches, cool. a gaming center, <laughs> board games everywhere. It's like a gigantic living room from the 1940s. Oh, <laughs> yes. So I really didn't want... I couldn't find a stage. I really wanted to do this remount before Fringe and before... I write my next one woman show about the time that I lived in Paris. Ooh. Um, Ontario? I went to high school in Paris, Ontario, <laughs> but I lived in Paris, France for, uh, for um, a Have few months. Have we ever talked about that? I don't think so. I never did. I did you? Yeah. I'm going to Paris at the end of the, uh, in, in uh, August. Ooh, hot Paris. Yeah, I hope so. Oh, it's so. nice though, because then I've all never the Parisians seen... are gone. Yeah, they're all... I, but they all come back to school in the week we're going. Oh. Yeah, we're going from the 23rd... Oh, you're at the end of the month. Oh, yeah. the lycées will be packed. Yeah. The what? Uh, their high school. Yeah. Uh, I... So I, I've been to Paris three times. I've lived there for three months, and I've never, ever seen a flower in bloom. Because oh. I've always gone from... In the winter. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going in August. Nice. And I cannot wait to see. I have a rose garden that I used to. It has like a hundred trellises, just like dead trellises, up by the Natural History Museum. Oh. You know, on the outside of town a little bit. Mm. One and just it's like down the street from like the best goat cheese sandwich <laughs> place <laughs> in the world. Uh-huh. Everybody's so good. Oh and my god! I googled crook messieurs this week. Just like, what am I doing wrong? Why doesn't this taste? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see that garden. Full. Yeah. Uh, it's August. It'll, the roses Just will be in full everywhere. bloom. I cannot. Like it actually makes me want to weep thinking about it. I love Paris. Mm, me too. Same seas. Yeah. Monkey. Yeah, I don't speak French uh, that well. Uh, I'm really good at. Uh, oh, uh, je suis désolé, ma français est très très mauvais. But even and that's good. Yeah, exactly. Nice. And yeah. people would go nuts because I could say that one thing, and I'd be like. What do you understand? Stop speaking faster to me. Start speaking English. But um, I tried my hardest. I'm actually good at speaking it and reading it. I bet you would be. But understanding it? Oh, yeah. Lost. The, no, the French in France talk really fast. Yeah. No, but even when the people are talking slow, I'm like, I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they get along well with that face. <laughs> Well, they, everything is, uh, yeah. like, in Quebec, it's like, all their, your mouth is, like, pressed yeah. back, and then in Paris, your mouth is, like, Don't blow kisses. Yeah, which is why it's, they all um, think we look stupid and that we smile too much. Do they think that? Yeah, they think we smile too much. It's like, if you're in France and you, like, somebody walks by... Says like, a lot about France, doesn't it? For sure, man. Because we'd be like, oh, bonjour. <laughs> and they're like... Oh, some stupid person's yeah, happy with life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Talking to me you son of a bitch. Here's my in- per- interpretation of France. Like, how I survived in France was smiling. That's because I never, ever... Like, people would be like, oh, Paris, you're going to be in so much trouble. There's such bitches there. Never in my entire life, the whole time that I was there, I just smiled. Bonjour, monsieur. Je suis trouvé. And I would smile. Yeah, I am found. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, beautiful. Come with me. And they, I never. This is ever... very important in life to be found. They're okay. very yeah, philosophical, so they would love something like that. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That's probably why I had so many different reactions in Paris. But, um, yeah, so it. Uh, one of those, uh, I never ever met a, a mean Parisian. One, she was a grocery clerk. She was a fucking cunt, and I met her on my first day, and I hated her. Oh, there's so But many. after that, everything was amazing. That's good. Yeah, that's good. But yeah, of like average. There are only a couple. Like yeah, my first day, I met someone who was like, I was like, don't pretend like you don't understand the French I'm speaking just because it sounds slightly different than yep. yours. That like happened to me with an apple once. <laughs> I was like, uh, je veux le pomme. He was like, quoi? I was like, je veux le pomme. I was like, quiet. I was like, I don't know how else to say this. Pum, pum, P-O-M-M, uh, pum. And then the lady behind me, this French beautiful woman of came course. up and just in French was like, she wants an apple. And he's like, oh, wait. Oh, and he gave me the apple. And she, exactly, she was like, sometimes French people are assholes. Oh. Like, what did I do wrong? Like, what did I? And she was like, nothing. I'm like, pum, right? Pum. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I go, I, M, M. I asked for a straw. I was like, uh, in pie. And they're like, because that's very, like, Canadian pronunciation. Mm-hmm. And she was like, 
Une paille. It's <laughs> like, fuck you, give me a straw. I want to get drunk, that's all. <laughs> yeah, I have to drink. Thanks. <laughs> whenever I try to speak French over there, they just whip out their English on me. It's like, okay, cool. Let's Fine, just, let's get whatever. through this. Une <laughs> paille. Yeah. So Catherine would ask me about that. I was like, well, because people want to practice their English, that Catherine. Is, that is a lot of things. That is why. It, but it is true, right? Yeah. Like, I would have men accost me on the street and be like, I want to practice my English on you. And I'd be like, I want you to know I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that. they're not trying to try practice something else. <laughs> Thank you, Boomer, no for problem. a lovely chat. Have a wonderful, successful run at sh- uh, sh- Solo. I Special. hope a lot of people turn up. Oh! <laughs> amazing! That was like an orgasm. <laughs> like, I waited for it for so long, <laughs> and then you finally did it. And it's like you had planted it at the beginning uh-huh. of the episode, and throughout the whole episode, I write these things. it grew, <laughs> and it developed, and it changed, and by the end of the episode. And we boiled it and served it with mashed potatoes and haggis. Amazing. <sighs> Thanks for having me. Yay. Thanks for having us, I guess. No problem. Problem. Catch Natasha Boomer's one-woman show, All Fired Up, on Saturday, May 28, as part of the Solo Festival at the Red Sandcastle Theater. You can also catch All Fired Up and the remount of the improv sensation Stuck from May 31st to June 5th at Betty's. Tickets are available online. Make sure to check out our Facebook page for more information.